The countdown is on. 50 days until Utah State football begins the 2017 season, which means it's the perfect time to debut AggieCast, the podcast entirely dedicated to the Utah State Aggies. Greetings and go Aggies! This is Micah Safeston, your host on the pilot episode of AggieCast, the only podcast dedicated entirely to the Utah State Aggies. I am excited to be here. I'm excited to introduce myself, introduce this show. I want to take some time and do that, talk about what this show will be, what it won't be, what you can expect to get out of it. Um, First of all, what this show won't be is it won't be a news show, it won't be breaking news. What I will be doing is is mostly ranting, <laughs> just kind of free associating into this microphone in front of me, and and I'm going to try as hard as I can to bring in guests, whether they be uh, from the media or in a more official capacity involved with Utah State Athletics. I'll take either one, and I want to hear from, from you. You can contact us. Uh, first, like our Facebook page. I will be getting a Twitter page up as well. And you can contact us through there, and we'll, we'll have additional ways that you can get a hold of us. I want to get you guys involved as well. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm someone who loves to write. I love to communicate about the things I'm passionate about. The Utah State Aggies are one of those things. Another thing about me is I'm from Southeast Michigan, Big Ten country. I grew up in driving distance of the University of Michigan, the University of Notre Dame, and the Ohio State University. And I say that because... Those are schools I saw. For, I saw those fan bases firsthand, and I saw how large they were, and I saw how loyal they were. And my goal with this show is I want the Utah State fan base to be like that, to be as large and as loyal as a Big Ten fan base, as an SEC ten, fan base, and that's a that's a tall order. That's a lofty goal, you might say. But you know what the legendary coach Lou Holtz used to say. It still says, if you don't wake up every morning with a burning desire to accomplish something new, you don't have enough goals. That's going to be the goal on this show. And I hope that that's your goal too. Now I can't, as fans, we can't really make the team win. All we can do is support them. But in the end, it's up to them. And I also, I can't make you excited about the Utah State Aggies. But I can get excited about the Utah State Aggies, and I hope that my excitement is contagious. And I hope that everyone listening becomes more excited about the Utah State Aggies, becomes more excited that they, that this is their team. And that is the, that's how I'm going to accomplish this goal. I want to take some time and talk about Utah State football, because like I said at the beginning, 50 days away from kickoff, that's exciting. Uh, I want to step back. And take a look at Utah State as a whole. I'm not talking about this year, next year, or even last year. I'm talking about as a whole. Where we are as a program. Because I'm someone who really has loved college football my whole life. I'll admit, I haven't been a Utah State Aggie fan my whole life. But I've been a a school of college, excuse me, a student of college football my whole life. And I've been following it and studying it and learning about it, learning about its history. And I feel like I have a pretty good idea of where Utah State is at, big picture-wise. I want to go back to the college football in the 1970s. Now, I'm only 24 years old, and some of you listening, you may remember these days. And if you saw things differently back then, or still do, you are free to disagree. That's fine. But in the 1970s, 
this was a time when college football had it didn't have as many teams competing at the level it does now. But it was growing. And more and more teams were not only playing college football, they were playing college football really well. And in 1978, college football, the NCAA, divided college football into two subdivisions, what we then called Division 1A and 1AA. We now call them the Football Bowl Subdivision and the Football Championship Subdivision. And the FBS and the FCS. And that had an interesting effect. I think there was an unintended effect that teams also started to congregate into conferences. Now, conferences had been around a long time, but more and more emphasis was being placed on conferences. And it's interesting, if you look at the year 1978, there were a lot more independents than there are now. Listen to these teams that were independent in the year 1978. This, is, these, this isn't all of them. There were more that independents. But when you hear these teams, you'll understand why I point them out. Florida State, Georgia Tech, Miami, Penn State, South Carolina, West Virginia. Those six teams were all independent in 1978. Now, Utah State, 1978 was the year they actually joined a conference. They left independence and joined the Pacific Coast Conference, which later became known as the Big West. And... That year, and in the, the, the years following, what we started to see in college football was kind of an attitude of conference is everything. Because national championships, they were important. Teams wanted to win national championships. Don't get me wrong. But when you looked at those teams' goals, their goal was to win a conference championship. Because a lot of times, that's all they could control. Many years, national champions, almost every year, National champions were decided by vote, and it was usually not unanimous. We don't need to look very far to see a a pretty obvious example of this attitude, and that's in BYU. Now, any BYU fan will be happy to tell you and remind you of their 1984 national championship year. Now, don't get me wrong. BYU was a good team that year, and I don't intend to take away from the national championship. But let's look at the team that they beat. Just look at that team. They beat the University of Michigan, and the University of Michigan was a powerhouse during the 80s. They were very difficult to beat. 1984 was kind of an off year for them, though. They were 6-6. Six and six. BYU, That's right. BYU beat a 6-6 six and six team to win the national championship by vote. Now, you tell me. In today's college football, is anyone winning the national championship against a team who had a 6-6 and regular season? No, absolutely not. And yet, that's, that was what happened that year. Now, BYU, again, BYU was a good team that year. But what everyone was able to control at that time, every team was able to control, was their conference championship. It was very difficult to count on basically being elected national champion. And that was kind of, college football was turning into that in in the beginning of the 80s and the 90s. And Utah State, during the 60s and 70s, was experiencing success. In fact, they were really kind of on the top, in, in Utah at least, in those years. But around the, the 1980s, Utah State started to fall. They started to slip. And what what I'm suggesting is that the greatest mistake that Utah State made was joining what is now known as the Big West Conference and not the WAC. Because that same year, University of Arizona and Arizona State left the WAC to join the Pac-10. Now, why couldn't have Utah State come in and replace them? Now, I've heard theories that the administration administrations of BYU and Utah froze Utah State out of the whack. I'll listen to those, but I haven't found any evidence of that, so I'm not going to make those accusations here. But regardless, the fact that Utah State did not get into the whack was very detrimental to their future. And it has, I think it has effects 
that we are still seeing today. And what has happened, fast forwarding to now, is you have Utah, who was at the WAC at the time, who, I mean, they have been dominant in the last decade. Their last two coaches are, I would make the case that they're, that they're two of the best college football coaches in the country with Urban Meyer and Kyle Whittingham. Utah, I mean, excuse me, BYU is a different story. Now, BYU had success in the, the early 2000s, the 90s. But what, what I am saying is that BYU, they made a very poor decision in going independent. Guys, you, you just can't be successful without a conference today. BYU is going to, I mean, it, it's not going to look very good, good for them in the coming years. Now, this year, do they look good? Yes. They, they, they're they're going to be a tough team to beat. But I'm talking long term. It was a tremendous mistake to go independent on, on BYU's part. Utah State has the opportunity long term to replace BYU as kind of the other guy in Utah, the other team to beat. And I believe that if Utah State wants to do that, they have to play like it's the 80s and 90s again. I'm not talking about style of play. I'm not talking about you know, running a pro-style offense. I'm talking about conference is everything. Right now, they need to have that attitude that every team had in the 80s and 90s. That conference is everything. That if they can win their conference, that's how they move forward. If they can succeed in the Mountain West Conference, they're, they're relatively new to the Mountain West. And if they can succeed and dominate in the Mountain West, then Utah State's going to be on a good path. And that's why I'm excited about this year. Because look at their schedule. Non-conference, it's a tough schedule. We're playing BYU. We're playing a Big Ten team and an ACC team, arguably two of the most powerful conferences in the country last year. And that's, that's hard. But then look at our conference schedule. Who are we not playing this year, guys? San Diego State. That's the team that we have had the most trouble beating. And if we win out the conference, which would be great, I'm not saying we will, but I would love to see that, then yeah, we probably will play San Diego State in the conference championship. But at least that's at the end of the season when our young guys have a full season under their belt and they have some momentum and some confidence. But in the regular season, our conference schedule schedule is doable. It is doable, guys. So now I want to go through the, the season, game by game, and talk about our chances in each one. What a victory will look like, what a loss might look like, what the keys for Utah State are. And I hope that you'll get a feel for my excitement about this season. Because... I think a lot of the pessimism that I've seen, I think it's undue. So let's do that on the other side. I'll see you there. The 2017 Aggie football schedule, starting out September 1st in Madison, Wisconsin, we play the Badgers in Camp Randall Stadium. It's going to be a tough game. I don't need to tell anyone that. <laughs> I mean, th this is the most difficult game on the schedule, as far as I'm concerned. This is going to be the toughest game. And I'm glad that it's first, really. I, I am. And, uh, you know... <sighs> The guys on the team right now, I doubt any of them have played in an, in an environment like Camp Randall before. The closest I can think of is probably last year uh, in the Coliseum against USC. 
But this is, I mean, this is one of the hardest stadiums to play in the country, is Camp Randall Stadium. And so that, just that right there. Another thing about the, the Badgers is they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. Um, I mean, last year, when you look at the Big Ten last year, we had those three teams that were all kind of competing for the Big Ten championship. Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. There was kind of that three-way where uh, each one of them had beat another one but lost to another. And then you had Wisconsin in the Big Ten West kind of hey, what, saying, hey, what about us? They go to the Big Ten championship, lose in a heartbreaker against Penn State. They have a chip on their shoulder, and they're going to play tough. And what's more is that they've got some good players coming back. Now, one of the biggest problems for Wisconsin last year was at quarterback. They started with Alex Hornibrook. He wasn't playing that great, so they switched to Bart Houston, and he did all right. Bart Houston's out now. Uh, looks like Alex Hornibrook will be their starter. He, uh, he's a good quarterback. I mean, what I've seen from him, he didn't look too bad, but uh, Bart Houston was also very good. They've got some good receivers. They've got Wisconsin is not a, a wide receiver type school, but they've got some good ones this year. They've got Jazz Peavy, one of the fastest guys in college football, going around the end. They've also got who I think might be the best tight end in college football this year in Troy Fumagalli. He's only got nine fingers, but he has some of the best hands. Uh, if you, when you're watching the game, watch their tight end, Troy Fumagalli. He's only got nine fingers, but he's. I mean, he's a heck of a football player. It, they lost their, their running back, Corey Clement. Um, he was, when you play at Wisconsin, when you're the starting running back, you're going to get 1,000 yards. That's just kind of baked into the cake. But uh, he's gone now. They're going to have some, some new guys coming in to replace him. They're going to run the ball well. And uh, the, one, the other weakness, it seems, on offense for them seems to be on their offensive line. They lost some good players on the line. Uh, they had a couple of good tackles, from what I understand. Both those guys have, have graduated. So th- they're going to have some young guys on the offensive line. Switching to defense, they've, they've got probably some more, more question marks on defense than they do on offense. This is Wisconsin. Um, they lost some good players on defense. Most notably, uh, T.J. Watt, the def- defensive end. This is J.J. Watt's little brother, actually. He was one of their best defensive players, one of the best players on the team. Um, I believe that he he was uh, Big Ten Player of the Year, big defensive defensive Player of the Year, something like that, and had a very good season last year. He's he's gone pro, and so they're going to have some question marks on defense. And and really, I think when you talk about which side, I think it's going to be a little weaker for Wisconsin. I think it's going to be the defense. Um, there, this is a team that Paul Chris, the coach at at Wisconsin, he's kind of coach that always fields a good defense. But their offense just has too many good players returning, as far as I'm concerned. Except for the running back, and they always have a good running back. So, I, my best guess is that they're going to play offense really well. And if anyone's not going to show up on one side of the ball or the other, I think it'll be the defense for them. For Utah State to even have a chance in this game, we have to put pressure on their quarterback. Uh, their quarterback, Alex Hornibrook, he is not a, you know, he's not invincible. Um, you can get to him, especially that they've got some young guys on the offensive line this season. It's going to be the, I'm, I'm guessing it looks like they're going to have at least one true freshman starting on the offensive line. And if we can really put pressure on that one guy, now I understand Utah State will also have some young guys on the defensive line, but if we can put some pressure on their offensive line, get Get Alex Hornibrook out of the pocket. Get him out of a comfort zone. Put some pressure on him. Keep the ball out of the hands of their good receivers. I think we have to really have a chance. We may just have to let them run the ball, which is what Wisconsin does best. But uh, they're going to have a young young running back. And so we let the, let the running back run the ball. On defense, uh, excuse me, on offense, I think the Aggies need to let Kent Myers Keep the ball when the pass isn't there. And you're going to see kind of a theme when I talk about Kent Myers because I, I'm a fan of Kent Myers. I think he does well when, when he's allowed to keep the ball when nothing's open. He ha- to me, he has a tendency to, uh, 
feel forced to throw when the run is there and he's he's got good feet and he should be allowed to keep it, tuck it and run and get the first down. If we can do that, don't look for the big plays. Don't look for Ronquavian Tarver uh, on the outside, 40-yard gains every other play. But just let, you know, get the ball to Tony Lindsey Jr., Keep have Kent Myers only throw passes that are there. We can stay in this game. It's going to be a tough game, though. The hardest game of the season, as far as I'm concerned. Moving on the next week to Idaho State, the first home game of the season, going to be in Logan. It's, a, I believe, a Thursday night game. And, you know, going back to Wisconsin, the Wisconsin game briefly. If Wisconsin's going to win, it's going to be because they respect their opponent. And that, that's whenever you have a lopsided game like this, you always know respect's going to go one way. In the Wisconsin game, you know Wisconsin's going to get respect. And it kind of flips the next week when the Aggies play Idaho State. We know respect's going to go one way. But this time, we know, we know that Idaho State is going to respect the Aggies. But we don't know, are the Aggies going to respect Idaho State? Now, to be honest... I couldn't name a single player on the Idaho State roster. Not a single one. But here's what what I am sure about. Is that this is going to be a team with a chip on its shoulder also. Because a lot of these guys are going to be from around here. Idaho State's just up the road in Pocatello. There's going to be a lot of guys on this team that in high school, they probably went to Aggie games as fans. They probably dreamt of being recruited by the Aggies, but they weren't. And now they're at Idaho State. It's the same story last year against Weber State. This was kind of the same deal there. And these players are going to want to, you know, maybe show the world why they should have gone to Utah State. And they're going to be ready to play. And the Aggies need to respect this opponent. And if they do, they'll win. They'll win. And... I'm, I'm looking forward to this game. It'll be a good chance to get a good look at some of our younger players, some of our guys coming in to replace um, some of the, the holes we have on the defensive line and, uh, and, uh, and elsewhere. I, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried about our, our running situation, our running back losing Devontae Mays. Um, so we'll get a good chance to see that in this game. The next week we'll be at Wake Forest. Now, <laughs> this is going to be a, this is another hard game. Let's talk about Wake Forest last year. Last year, Wake Forest went 6-6 six and six in the regular season. But I don't let that record fool you. This was a good team last year. First of all, remember, Wake Forest is in the ACC. Who were they playing last year? They were playing Clemson. They were playing Louisville. Playing Florida State. These are, <laughs> these teams are tough to beat. And these are some of the best teams in the country. Wake Forest was was better than their record show uh, last year. So, what I'm another thing I'm worried about is you know they've got this young coach Dave Clawson, uh brought them to a bowl game last year for the first time in a while. I'm not sure exactly how long it's been for Wake Forest, but it's been the first time in a while. And this is a team with energy. It's going to have energy, and. It, Wake Forest is a team that it, in the last few years it's really done well on offense. It's excuse me, it's really done well on defense. And offense has always been kind of a big question mark for them. It seems as though that has flipped. They've lost some guys on on defense. Um, they're they're adjusting to a new defensive coordinator there at Wake Forest, and there's going to be some holes. And and still early in the season for them, they're coming off of you know. Two non-conference opponents, just like we are, and there's going to be a, a chance to really assert ourselves on offense. And I hope by this game that we have figured out what works well, both passing and running. Uh, I'm really looking. At, I've mentioned Ron Quavian Tarver. I, I want to see where he fits in into the uh, the passing scheme. Um, I think he played well last year. I think he'll he'll have a big season this year. I think he I think he was one of our more underrated receivers last year actually. Running, I I like the t- Tony Lindsay Jr. I want to see him step up in this game against Wake Forest. 
And there's going to be some opportunities to to really uh, show up and maybe surprise a team, a, a team like Wake Forest, playing them in in North Carolina. And uh, again, this would be a good time to see what kind of team we've really got here and how they handle adversity. Because you know, we have to be prepared for the fact that after this game, it's very likely that we're looking at a one and two Utah State team, because. Wisconsin and Wake Forest are going to be difficult, difficult teams. Uh, you could make the case to me that Wake Forest is the next most difficult opponent for the Aggies this season. And, uh, in fact, I, I may even just say that now, that that is the case. So the next week for the Aggies is San Jose State. The game is September 22nd. It's in San Jose. And this is an interesting game to me. Uh, San Jose State, it's hard to get a good feel for them because they they just hired a new coach, Brent Brennan. Really interesting looking guy. He seems he comes from Oregon State, a young guy. Kind of came in with some hype, at least as far as San Diego San Jose State is concerned. And it, it seems like there's some excitement around this program. There, I even read an article that kind of compared him to PJ Fleck uh, when he was at Western Michigan. No, he's at Minnesota. And that's yet to be seen, I suppose. Um, they're also losing their quarterback, so they've got uh, they'll have a, a young quarterback. And I don't know; it's it's kind of hard to tell how this team will really look. I know that the week before the Aggies play San Jose State, San Jose State will be in Salt Lake City playing Utah, and I may go down to that game to kind of scout these guys out, and we'll have a better idea of what San Jose State will look like. I'm guessing. That it'll be hard for them to improve upon their their four and eight record they had last year. And I think if the Aggies come in and hit that quarterback, that young quarterback, they're they're going to have. I think we'll be successful. And uh, and I, I may go down to that game and, and that Utah game and get a better idea for what this team looks like. And uh, it'll be fun. So the next week, the 29th, the Utah State Aggies will play BYU in Logan. And this is the this is the one we're excited for, and and I am I know I am and uh, I mean this is uh, this is an exciting game every year as far as I'm concerned. And I've noticed a lot with the some of the commentators I've I've seen and listened to about BYU in this off season all all summer long. What I've heard from multiple sports commentators is that to them BYU is kind of their dark horse team. They're really looking at a big year from them. Uh, the big statistic that's being thrown around is that they lost their four games by a combined total of eight points. And that's, I mean, that's quite the statistic, to be sure. They won some close games as well. Uh, they didn't lose. The, the games they lost were the close ones. But uh, I here's my thing with BYU right now and what I've noticed about them. Another thing you hear a lot about BYU is always mentioned, it seems, is how it's a team that that is full of return missionaries. And so because they're return missionaries, they're more physically mature and emotionally mature and therefore disciplined. But I've noticed that to not be the case. Now of course there are you know a lot of return missionaries on, on BYU. I should I would also mention there's a lot of return missionaries in Utah State, but that's beside the point. But what I see in BYU is perhaps the most emotional team I've ever seen play college football. And I've seen a lot of college football. But this is an emotional team. And, you know, if you live by emotion, you will die by emotion. And they have, last year, they seem to have real difficulty beating good teams. When they are playing a good team, they just couldn't beat them because BYU was playing on emotion. If you look at the teams they lost to, Boise State, West Virginia, UCLA, Utah. The, probably the most notable of those four teams, Utah and Boise State. Those were both very good teams last year. West Virginia and UCLA. You know, UCLA was kind of a disappointment. UCLA kind of had a lot of injuries last year. That that really kind of hampered their season last, last year. But... Um, I think this game was early enough they hadn't experienced a lot of those injuries. But those were all good teams. Look at the teams they beat. 
And I mean, there's Mississippi State. They beat Mississippi State. That they've been fielding fielding a lot of good teams these last few years. Um, they beat Arizona. I don't know. Rich Rodriguez is is. I think he's starting to get on a bit of a hot seat there, but um, this season I think we'll get a better idea. So it seems to me like this is a team that runs on emotion, and that that's from me watching them play. And to illustrate that, I want to look at the penalties. Now, BYU actually ranked below Utah State in penalties last year, just barely. I think uh, Utah State was 83rd, nationally in penalties, and, and BYU was 85th. So they were just right next to each other. But what strikes me is penalty yards. So the reason for this is because BYU is getting a lot of these big yard penalties. That's really killing them. And those big yard penalties, those are the emotional penalties. Those are the late hits. Those are the excessive celebration. Those are the, the cheap pass interference. BYU nationally ranked 31st in total penalty yardage. Well, Utah State, who actually had more penalties than BYU, was all the way down at 57th. And I'm seeing that, and I'm seeing, you know, BYU's, they're not getting, they're not getting a lot of penalties. I mean, they're, they're, they're getting a lot. But the penalties they are getting are costing them yards, and those are the emotional penalties. Those are the stupid penalties. If Utah State wants a chance to beat BYU, they have to be out. They have to outdiscipline the Cougars, and if they do that, they absolutely have a shot in this game. and And I'm excited, and I hope that when we see Utah State for the first four games, that we see a disciplined team. We see a team that's going to respect their opponent when they play Madison against Wisconsin, that they respect their opponent again when they play Idaho State and, and Wake Forest, and that they come out and, and they're not getting those stupid penalties. And when, and when they're, they're getting the tough calls, that they're keeping their heads cool. And, and to me, that's the mark of a good team. And that's a team that is teachable. That's a team that even if they're not playing well right now, they can be taught to play well in the near future. If Utah State does that, they absolutely have a chance against this BYU team. And because BYU was not that team last year, they were not that disciplined team last year. You know, I, I'm seeing Kalani Sitake getting, I mean, just losing his mind. And of course, when your coach is throwing his headset and screaming at every bad call, of course, the team's not going to be disciplined. Of course, they're going to play with emotion if the coach can't even hold his own emotions. So, if BYU keeps doing that, they're going to have they're going to have some big problems. And Utah State has the chance to capital. So that's the first four weeks for the Aggies, and I'm running out of time. So what I'll do is next week talk about the next four games, and then a couple weeks after that, finish with the last four games of the season. Because I want to move on to my final segment, where I'll discuss college football just as a whole. That is not just the Aggies, but Everywhere. And as we get into the season, I'll talk about the big games that week, look at the rankings, what I think of them, and uh, if I agree with them, if not so much. And for now, though, I want to introduce my college football preview. Just introduce it, because I'm not going to release it until two weeks from today. I'll, my episode, two weeks from today, will just be the entire episode, will be my college football preview. And what I want to do today is kind of a pre-preview and look at each conference, starting with the, the Power Five, and then I'll also look at the Mountain West, and talk about two teams from each conference that I think will be the big players. This isn't necessarily my pick for what the conference championship is going to be, because I it, it could be two teams from the same division. And so... It's just my, my two picks for kind of the top two teams in that conference. And that will, you can take that and you'll hear a much more expanded version two weeks from now for my college football preview. But let's get into this because I'm, I'm excited about this. 
So who are the big contenders in each Power 5 conference and in the Mountain West this next season? Let's start with the ACC. And I want to start with a team who is one of my dark horse teams this year. And now I'm, I'm mentioning them and I, I think they have the opportunity. I think they have the chance to be one of the best teams in their conference this year. And I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. And that's North Carolina State. I want you to look at their schedule last year. These are the teams they lost to. East Carolina, Clemson, Louisville, Boston College, Florida State, and Miami. Four of those teams are four of the best teams in the country. That's Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, and Miami. And all of those teams are losing some big players, with the exception of Louisville. And I think they have a chance with much of their team returning this year to really compete in this conference. So that's my dark horse team. My my other ACC team, I would have to go with Florida State. Notice how I'm leaving out Clemson. Clemson, last year, I I think it was understated how much they relied on Deshaun Watson. I, I was a fan of Deshaun Watson's. Still am. And without him, I think Clemson is, is going to struggle this year. Now, are they going to be 4-8? and eight? Are they going to be 5-7? and seven? No. No. But I don't see them at the top of the ACC this year. So I'm going to go with Florida State. I think Florida State is overall a better coach team. I think Jimbo Fisher has more experience. In that. He's turned Florida State into a team that doesn't rebuild. It doesn't have rebuilding years. They just reload, really. And that's a team that I think is going to compete for a a long time to come. And I I think Florida State's return to to being a big-time power in in college football, I think those days are back. Next, I want to go to the Big 12. Big 12 is interesting because I I have another dark horse team in this conference. I think really my, my one other dark horse team and part of this is because the Big 12 is kind of lacking for talent again. <laughs> it seems like that's kind of been the case the last few years, uh, particularly with Oklahoma losing Bob Stoops uh, to retirement. And I think it's going to be a little while before Oklahoma is back to where they were for a long time. Um, there is one team, however, that I see really on the rise, and that's Texas. I want you to look up Coach Mark Herman, the former Houston coach who now is the head coach at Texas. This is, this is his first year. Texas is not losing a lot of players. Now, they didn't have a lot of elite players to begin with that are returning, but you know at a place like Texas, you're always going to have some potential to be successful. Coach Tom Herman throughout his career has averaged a four-game turnaround in the first year he coaches, wherever he is. Wherever he is. And last year, Texas won five games. So if he if Tom Herman just meets his average of a four-game turnaround at Texas, you're looking at a nine-win team. And when you account for the fact that Texas is always going to have big-time talent. I mean, you might even be willing to give them one more, and all of a sudden you're looking at a 10-win Texas team, which absolutely puts them at the top of the Big 12. The other team I'm really looking forward to in the Big 12 next season is Oklahoma State. I mentioned Oklahoma because last year it was really, the Big 12 was really all about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma is a team that has been under Bob Stoops for years and years, and I, I, I really have a hard time betting on a team that just lost kind of one of these legacy coaches who was very successful for a long period of time. I think it's hard to come back from that in your first year. So I'm giving the edge to Oklahoma State because I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Mason Rudolph, their quarterback, and um, they, they're going to come back, and I think they're going to play well. Okay, the Big Ten. 
this is a conference that it might be this might be have some of the most interesting storylines in all of college football right now. They're all in the Big Ten. Last year, the Big Ten really featured four teams that that all were making strong cases for the playoffs. That was Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin. All four of those teams have reasons to come back this year with a big old chip on their shoulder. Wisconsin, because they really got disappointed in that Big Ten championship game. Um, You look at Ohio State getting clobbered by Clemson in the first round of the playoffs. Last year, 31-0. You look at Penn State losing, first getting ranked number five. It's always hard to be number five in the in the final playoff rankings and then getting getting beat by USC in the in the Rose Bowl last year rather handily to a freshman quarterback and then you look at Michigan uh, losing a really heartbreaking game against Ohio State and then uh, losing again in their bowl game to Florida State all these teams have reasons to have a big old chip on their shoulders and my two teams here are really, I think, not the same two teams most people are picking for this conference. My two teams are Wisconsin and Michigan, and I'll tell you why. First, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's returning more talented players than than any of these four teams. And, and these are going to be the best four teams again next season. That's for sure. And Wisconsin's returning not just the most players, but also in quality of players, especially on offense. Like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, because they're playing Utah State. And I'm also picking Michigan, and I'll tell you why. Michigan has, first of all, Michigan is, is, this is a team that they've only beaten their big rival, Ohio State, once since 2003. And I can't imagine a Jim Harbaugh coach team not wanting to beat Ohio State more than anything else in the world. And I see them winning that game. And I'm going to also tell you why I didn't include Penn State and why I, I don't, I'm not even sure if Michigan will beat Penn State, but why I think Michigan will ultimately have a better season. James Franklin, the coach at Penn State, he has never in his coaching career gone into a season with a team ranked in the top 25. There's enormous pressure on his shoulders right now to, to really come to the level that they Penn State performed last year, particularly the second half of last year. And I don't know if his team is up for it, to be perfectly honest. I, and, I'm, and, I, and I like James Franklin. I think he's a good coach for Penn State. But I'm not convinced he's up for the challenge of meeting those expectations. However, Jim Harbaugh is a proven coach and is able to meet and exceed these expectations, one of which I think will be beating Ohio State. I don't see them losing once again. Um, I, I see the Michigan-Wisconsin game. I think it could go either way. And when it, when it comes to Penn State, I think that could also go either way. But I think when you look at the entire season, the two best teams, when you look at the whole season's, I think will be Wisconsin and Michigan. Okay, on to the Pac-12. Another interesting conference this year. And my two teams are probably not going to include one of at least one team that everyone seems to be excited about. First, I've got Colorado. Now, Mike McIntyre, coach of Colorado, just to give you some perspective of what he's of what he's done. 2014, the Colorado Buffaloes were 2-10 in 2014. They were 2-10. 2015, they are 4-8. 2016, 10-2. 10-2. They were being talked about for the playoffs last year. Now, do I think that they're going to improve a 10-2 record? It's going to be very difficult for them. But... I absolutely think that the way this team is proving itself to be coached, they're going to make a run for the Pac-12, and I'm putting them as, as one of my top two teams. My other team I've got for the Pac-12 is I've got Washington. I think Washington 
is going to come is now are they going to make the playoffs? I'm not sure about that yet, like they did last year. But with Jake Browning coming back, and with Chris Chris Peterson, they've got there. I mean, he's proven himself to be one of the great coaches in college football right now. He's he's he has proven that Boise State his his career his position at Boise State was not an anomaly that he could do that in other places. He's doing it in Washington. They've got that returning quarterback at Jake Browning. I see too much good coming back when they had such a young team last year. Notice how I'm leaving out USC, however. And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, since 2007, USC has been ranked in the top five preseason polls three times. And they have only once, of those three seasons, only once have they ever ended up finishing in the top 20. You look at 2012, Matt Barkley is the quarterback at USC. Number one overall. They're ranked number one overall in the preseason polls. They become the first first team in college football history to be ranked number one in the preseason polls and finish the game, finish the season with six losses. This is a team that I think is still rebuilding. Now, Sam Darnold, everyone is talking about Sam Darnold, and he's a good quarterback. But I'm not convinced that he has enough talent around him, and I'm not convinced that this this is a team that's that is uh, coached well enough to compete in the Pac-12 like they have in other years. There's too much talent. Another really talented team in the Pac-12 is Utah, by the way. And all those teams are teams that uh, that I'm going to be looking at. Okay, let's move to the SEC. This one's a little easier. I think we can agree. First, you got to pick Alabama. I mean. To be clear, we are living in... It's Nick Saban's world right now, and we're just living in it. (laughs) You can't bet against Alabama. Now, do I think they're going to return and win the national championship, vindicate the loss they had to Clemson last year? Not sure yet. (laughs) There's a lot of decisions I haven't made yet, and one of them is is the outcome of Alabama. Or as as Keith Keith Jackson used to say, Alabama. Now, my other team in the SEC, not as clear-cut, because there's, there's a handful of really good teams in this conference. But I've, I've decided on Florida. I think Florida, first of all, Florida's a program that you can always kind of count on rebuilding. And I think Coach McElwain has done some good work there. He's still got a ways to go, but with the Notre Dame transfer Malik Zaire. Um, I think it'll take a few weeks for them to adjust uh, to that that quarterback with that type of style of play because it doesn't really seem to fit uh, what what Coach McElwain is really moving in to the University of Florida. Nevertheless, I think that this is a team on the upward trajectory. So my, if Alabama's the clear number one, there's a handful of teams I could pick for number two. I'm going to go with Florida because I think it's a well-coached team and it's on an upward trajectory. So Alabama and Florida for the SEC. Now let's move into our conference, the Aggies Conference, the Mountain West Conference. And there's a lot of talent. And I don't think there's one clear winner this year. And... So it's it's hard to tell. Now, I don't want to count out Utah State because, like I said, I, I want Utah State to focus on the conference this year. But I'm just going to pick. I'm calling balls and strikes at this point. And I'm, I want to pick the two teams that I think are the best two teams in this conference. And one of them being San Diego State, to no surprise. I think that West the Mountain West Conference has become in the last just couple of years, it's become 
San Diego State's conference. Previous, it was Boise State's, but uh, San Diego State is establishing itself with success. Uh, they, they've you know they lost that great running back they had last year, but this similar to Wisconsin, this is a team that always runs the ball well, and they're playing in a conference that uh, is not known for its defense. So, San Diego State. If I had to pick one other team, there's it's kind of like the SEC. There's there's a handful of other teams. I think I could go for my number two, but I think the team that I am most concerned about might be Colorado State. Uh, again, this is this is also a team with a new coach. Uh, their coach went to Florida a couple years ago, and they're on an upward trajectory. And I'm going to be concerned when they come to Logan. And I'm going to start off next week's podcast talking about that game. But that's, I think, Colorado State, San Diego State are probably the two best teams in the Mountain West this year. It might be the, the conference game I'm most worried about for the Aggies. Um, I'm also worried about the Boise State game. I, I think I could, I could switch out Colorado State for Boise State easily in this, in this case, but uh, I'll, I'll pick Colorado State. So, so that's my college football pre-preview for the year 2017. Tune in two weeks from now, and I will release my entire college football preview. We'll spend the, the, the entire, entire episode going over my college football preview. And uh, it's been awesome, you know, recording this podcast. It's been, I'm excited, as I was when I started, and I'm excited to, to go through this uh, football season with you guys and basketball season. Thank you very much. Go Aggies.